This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and The Athletic's Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into the camp. Badgers still about a month away from spring practice getting going. Jesse, I know we talked about this on Temple and Heilprin, but we haven't necessarily gotten a schedule for spring yet, but we did see some recruits setting out a schedule, and it's going to kind of be separated, man. The, the, they're going to hold their first practice on the 22nd of, of uh, March and then not hold another one until uh, like the first week of April. So they're going to spring practice going all the way into May. It's going to be going on during the entire portion of the uh, transfer portal being open. I, it's going to be interesting to see how this how this looks. I know they, they, it was open last year for uh, a large stretch as well, but going all the way into May is not normal for Wisconsin, nor- usually. usually. It, it's the latest I can ever remember, spring practice finishing. And again, we don't have anything official, but we do have prospective recruits literally tweeting out the graphic Wisconsin sent them of when spring practice transpires. And so you're right, they've got the one in March, then they go on spring break and then come back and do the other 14 practices. Uh, And it remains to be seen what they're going to do. If there is going to be any type of spring game type of situation, they obviously can't do that in camp Randall stadium with the construction. So uh, there's a lot of questions (laughs) that we have about what it looks like. My hope is that the weather will at least be quasi nice in April and uh, that we get a chance to see a lot of these. Uh, It looks like it's going to be a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday type of schedule throughout and then closing on a Thursday in May. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions in year two for Luke Fickle and spring practice is a really good opportunity for us to better understand what this team has to work with. Yeah. Uh, Fickle said in Milwaukee when he did that little badger thing that they were hoping to do a spring scrimmage somewhere that hadn't really been decided. I don't necessarily, it it really doesn't need to be at camp rental. Like I feel like they could No. there. There are a number of stadiums, perhaps in town that could handle the a number of people that would come out to see it. So um, the launch part too, right? <laughs> I, I suppose. Uh, I don't know if they'll, <laughs> I don't know if they'll go with that name after <laughs> that it's the relaunch, the relaunch, there you go. I like the it. relaunch. And I think that's, it's actually a very good transition into what one of the things I wanted to talk about today was Wisconsin. And what does progress look for them in 20? 24 what in your mind has to happen for you to think that things are going in the right direction this fall we saw what happened last year it was not the the start that anybody was hoping for going seven and six losing a stretch in the middle of the season in games to like northwestern and indiana teams that wisconsin should not lose to not really showing up offensively against uh iowa and and in other games as well they get to the bowl game they lose the bowl game I think the bowl game was actually kind of encouraging, not defensively, certainly, but offensively was encouraging. But a lot of the guys that made plays in that game, um, especially the quarterback, not going to be there. I'm wondering for you, what does progress look like here in 2024? It's a a really good question and one that I know has been discussed quite a bit here this offseason because the schedule, and it's going to be the case in most seasons moving forward, is so challenging that they could be a better football team and yet have a pretty similar record. Progress to me, offensively and defensively, are just being more consistently impactful. And that may sound like a simple answer, but how much time did we spend last last offseason talking about the offense and what its potential was and how it could be so explosive? And 
The Badgers averaged, what, 23 and a half points per game? The worst season that this program had had in about 20 years or so. Um, so more consistent, more efficient offensively. And you could say the exact same thing defensively, even though in the end the numbers defensively didn't show that Wisconsin was a terrible defensive team. They clearly had fallen off from where they'd been when they were at such a high level. They were one of the premier defensive teams for the better part of a decade. So I don't know if it's realistic to think they can do that in year two under Mike Tressel. On the other hand, that's why they've gone to the transfer portal and gotten players that they believe can be impact playmakers. So progress to me is just (laughs) finishing some of those games, but from a consistency standpoint, being in them and performing at a higher level on both sides of the ball. I mean, that, that may sound obvious, but like that's progress. We can get into what a record looks like beyond that. We'll get to that in a minute because FanDuel released some over-unders and Wisconsin's is interesting to say the least, but we'll get to that in a second. And for me, and I, I don't disagree with, with anything you just said, for me, it's, it's small things. It's yeah. the pre-snap penalties. It's being... mature as a team it's not beating yourself and so many times throughout the season last year it wasn't wisconsin losing it as much as it was the other team excuse me it wasn't as much as the other team being wisconsin it was wisconsin losing and i know that you could say that probably almost any football game but it really is true for wisconsin how many times they put themselves behind the eight ball whether it was you know getting off the slow starts which we saw in the first three games of the year or you know against Northwestern and Nebraska and to an extent Indiana like and and the Illinois game and you were able to come back in that one but how many times did you put yourself down and, and put yourself in in just horrible spots because of bad starts and then on a game to game basis like putting yourself or as I say on a on a possession to a possession basis putting yourself behind the sticks because you have a, a left tackle that that can't or uh, I should say an offensive line that just was full of penalties if we're being honest right so especially uh jack nelson like the the lack of accountability for those guys because they didn't they kept the guys in there it's not like to put somebody else in there so they have to those are things that stayed out to me being consistent is 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 very much at the top of the list because we saw spurts of greatness uh spurts of really good play but it just wasn't there consistently enough but and also turnovers Wisconsin had a like it's they weren't negative, but they were at zero. You have to win the turnover battle more often than not, and they did not do that last year at all. Um, not I shouldn't say it at all, but like they didn't do that on a, on a week to week basis. Have to be better there as well. So those would be two things that if they clean that type of stuff up, if they clean up the penalties, if they're able to force some turnovers. I know turnovers at times are luck, but cleaning up some of the turnovers without the fumbles of your quarterback, which we saw Braden Locke a couple times when he was there, you have to be able to put everything like those type of things to to bed if you're going to be a successful team. You can't continue to do those type of things and expect to to win games, especially when you're playing the type of teams that they're going to be playing on a regular basis starting this year. It's really a big reason why Wisconsin was so successful for as long as it was for all of those decades is doing the things well that didn't necessarily require talent. Obviously, you need talent to be able to win in this league. So I'm not saying they didn't have that, but the pre-snap penalties you're talking about, why was Wisconsin successful in a lot of in a lot of seasons? Well, they were one of the the least penalized teams and they took care of the ball. And that was part of why they most years 
if they weren't number one, they were pretty darn near close in terms of time of possession. And those types of things can have to still be a staple. Now, the, the time of possession thing is different these days because of the way the offense functions. But you've got to put yourself in good position. And then you have to have the talent to go out and execute at a really high level. And, and now that's as true as ever, given the teams that Wisconsin is going to be playing every season. Yeah. So I, th- there are a number of different things that you need to see. But you're right. The, the schedule does get tougher you're playing Alabama you're playing Oregon you're playing Penn State you're playing some of the teams that you know those are three marquee opponents not to mention the the other ones on your on your schedule with Nebraska and Iowa and Minnesota those are all things those are all games that you're going to go into and be like I don't really know which which way this is going to go and if you were to did I say Oregon um I meant USC right um, so they, and they get Oregon as well, but those are, those are all like teams that you're going to have to play clean football to have a chance to win those games. And they didn't do it nearly enough last year. So that, that said looking, and this is something else I wanted to talk about. FanDuel put out their list of, um, futures for over-unders in terms of wins and Wisconsin came in at six and a half, which is as low as I can recall certainly since we've been covering the team i think that's fair to say and probably as low as it's been in the last 20 years i would i would think again i don't have the the data to back that up um and obviously 2020 is a little bit different because there were only so many games but in terms of a full season it being six and a half seems very low for wisconsin historically and yet when you look at the schedule you you can kind of see it a little bit uh, what what it, if you were to for if you were forced to pick one if you're forced to pick here Jesse which way would you go? If I were forced to pick on six and a half, I would take the over. However, my thought was, man, if they put seven and a half, I think that would put myself and a lot of other people in a real bind. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's it's that sort of razor thin close on on the margin that you have to have, and I, it's always extremely difficult to predict to project what's going to happen in February or March when you get to the season, because you're basing it on what you think you know about that program based on what it has traditionally been and the players that it has brought on board, especially now with the transfer portal, you might have a a better understanding of some of those guys, but you have no idea how they're actually going to fit in. Um, Case in point, Tanner Mordecai was going to have all these crazy numbers and while he closed on a high note, what do you have? Nine touchdowns, five interceptions. So like you can think, you know, something about a team, uh, and that doesn't mean you actually do. Having said that, we've done this long enough to kind of know where Wisconsin stands in the pecking order and what it's going to take to beat some of these teams, even if we don't necessarily know who's going to be on the field and and what it's going to look like for, say, USC in a Big Ten opener out in L.A. on September 28th. So I look at the schedule. They get Western Michigan and South Dakota. I'm going to say Dub. those are wins. Yeah, I'm going to say those are wins. They get Purdue. That's a win. At Rutgers, they have beaten them consistently. That's a win. At Northwestern, that game, I don't, know, we, I don't know if we've had a talk since then, but it sounds like it's going to be at Lambeau Field and uh, essentially a home game. But you never know what or after what happened with Northwestern last year, the way that they kind of came out of nowhere and, and beat some teams that they probably shouldn't have, including Wisconsin. That's maybe I, I'm going to throw that in as a win, right? So that that's five. Where is the uh, six is maybe Minnesota. 
And then maybe... I'm looking at Nebraska and Minnesota and yeah. the Nebraska is certainly no gimme. It's in Lincoln. I right. know Wisconsin has beaten Nebraska fairly consistently since Nebraska came into the big 10, but like even that doesn't feel like a slam dunk. And I don't know that you can say the Minnesota game is given the way the Gophers have generally played against the Badgers and have come to camp Randall and won. And the rest, they're either they're either toss ups or Wisconsin's going to be an underdog. And that doesn't mean Wisconsin can't win, but it kind of shows you the position that Wisconsin is in going into this season because we're talking about yes, Nick Saban is no longer at Alabama. Alabama's still gonna have really good players. Same for for USC, gonna have good players. Penn State, that's great for Wisconsin as at Camp Randall Stadium, but Wisconsin hasn't had a lot of success against Penn State. Iowa, I mean, look. That's either a toss-up or Iowa's probably going to be favored because it's in Iowa City. And Oregon, while it's at Camp Randall, they're going to be a really good team too. So th- that's, I mean, it's not a, you think about the six and a half games and it's going to take a lot to get there. But if Wisconsin wants to get where it wants to go, <laughs> you've got to be at that level and much better. I've said this and I continue to believe it. The, the schedule looks not easier, not easier, but more manageable than it did when it was first released because it would, you know, before last season where USC was not a very good team, right? They were very bad defensively. They, we, we've talked about that with Alex Grinch. That's why he's on Wisconsin staff right now. They were bad defensively. They weren't good enough offensively, despite having Caleb Williams, put up numbers, put up some numbers, but they weren't good enough to win uh, consistently. And so maybe that's not as good of a program and not as good of a team as, Maybe we were expecting them coming in and then Alabama losing Nick Saban, losing a ton of talent to the transfer portal. Now they're going to have other guys come in, but are they able to hit the ground running with uh, with a new coach and a new system and all that stuff that goes along with it that maybe it's not the same Alabama team that would have been coming in here had Nick Saban still been there and they held on to a lot of their guys. Maybe it's a different, maybe it's a different picture that said, Penn State's not getting Penn State's still they haven't beaten Penn State since 2011. Oregon is Oregon and they're not going anywhere with Dan Lanning. He's the way that they're recruiting, the way that they're playing. That's going to be a top team in the Big Ten for however long he's there. And then you're right. The other games are kind of uh, toss up like at Iowa. That's never a that's never a guarantee. So there's there are so many things that uh, would go into finding a way to get over six and a half. Um, But if I had you know, gun to my head, I'd say under. You're going to say under six and a half. So you think it's a six and six team? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, <laughs> it's hard for me to sit here and be outraged. If, uh, if, I know last year when we had this conversation, we were so optimistic about what was possible. And I think I said 10 and two. And then you went out and watched what happened on the field. You realized it's not going to be that easy for Wisconsin. And so there is a lot more of a show me uh, before we make these bold proclamations, but you're right. It's such a, it's going to be this way for a long time. Um, And they're going to have to prove that they're better than what people think now. I mean, I I don't know. When we're going through the schedule, my colleague at the athletic Stuart Mandel did a revised way too early top 25. um, I think probably after some coaching changes and some portal moves, but he's got Oregon fourth in the country and he's got Alabama number eight and Penn State 16 and Iowa 22. So at minimum, you're probably looking at four top 25 games, but potentially more. Um, 
I mean, USC is going to be right there too. That's really tough to play potentially five ranked teams in the regular season. And um, I don't know. It, it, I don't want to go into this spring practice overly pessimistic, but it's hard to see the path in year two toward competing in that 12-team college football playoff or being in a position at the end of the season to win a Big Ten title. Um, are, so, we, are, we, are we going back too far the other way? Are we, you know, because we're it's so probably somewhere in between. It's probably okay. somewhere in between. But what I but I would say, like, if you look at, at what you think the final record could be, if I if they went nine and three, I would say, wow, that is a really successful year. That's how I feel about it based on what we saw last year, based on what we think the challenge is going to be. And if they go eight and four to me, that would be like that's a really solid year. So that's kind of the basis of at least where I'm coming from. And I feel like a lot of people are coming from this year. So is it a, if you, is it, a, is it eight and four? Is it a solid year? If those four losses are Alabama, USC, Penn state and Oregon. Yes, I okay. think it is because right. what it means is that you beat the teams that you used to beat. That's exactly on a right. regular basis. And, and, and I think that is the big challenge here is for decades uh, we were used to watching Wisconsin just roll through the teams it was supposed to beat. And if you get into a matchup that's a toss-up or against a better team, you don't know what's going to happen, but they won some of those too. But you also had the wins that you were expected to have to fall back on, and now they don't have that. They haven't had that for the last four seasons. So if you can get back to that, that to me is the baseline for where Wisconsin football needs to be. And then you start building toward beating those premier teams on a more consistent basis. Are you a fan of not having to go to the Chicago area for a game? I feel like um, you have. I feel like you have friends in that area, so you, you like actually seeing those people. But I, <laughs> the 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 going down there is I'm, I'm not disappointed. I'm not disappointed. I'll say that. I mean, I I have all love for Chicago, so it's it's whatever. I'm a fan of uh, driving to games and not flying, but there's <laughs> going to be some of those. There's going to be some flights to. You know, Lincoln, Piscataway, and L.A. Yeah, it's always me. It's always me, Dia, with <laughs> with with Jesse Temple. Um, another part of this competing is the NIL and pay for play, and the restrictions essentially being lit on fire last week, uh, last Friday. I think it was last Thursday or Friday, being lit on fire, and and there are no. There are now no restrictions in place for transferring. There's no restrictions in place for NIL. There's no restrictions in place for anything. People can do whatever they want uh, as uh, the, the courts have have deemed it at this point. Now, these court cases are going to follow through and there's, you know, whatever happens, happens. Certainly does not seem like the NCAA has a chance of at all of, of reining this in. I think we've kind of seen that uh, the NCAA is calling on Congress to do something about it. I think we've seen the Big Ten and the SEC kind of start to flex their muscle and maybe turning this, uh, whether it's football by itself or football and basketball, uh, moving this into another realm. That's I, I don't want to get into what the future is going to be, but if it's unrestricted, people can do whatever they want. Can Wisconsin compete in that environment? You just... You just answered a question I know in your mailbag last week about NIL and and what was in trying to find numbers on what Wisconsin is giving and and there aren't any hard numbers there. But can Wisconsin compete in an environment like that? So 
This is a hard question because I think Wisconsin has put itself in position to be competitive in this landscape in terms of they've got a, a collective, the varsity collective, and they have a mission and they stick to it. And they have resources around the university to expand the NIL efforts. And at the same time, if you're just looking at sheer, here's how much money is pooled to get the players. I think that's the challenge that Wisconsin faces. And part of the reason I say that is, so first of all, you're right. There, there are no hard numbers as of now, because the question that I got for this mailbag was wanting to know how Wisconsin's varsity collective compares to other universities in the big 10 and the college football landscape. And I get this question all the time and it makes perfect sense because we have numbers for so many different things. Like because Wisconsin is a public university, we know based on USA Today's data that Wisconsin's athletic department revenue in 2022-23 was 22nd in the country and 7th in the Big Ten. Brought in about $150 million. Its expenses were about $148 million. But we know those numbers. And with the collective, we don't know anything. It was founded in 2022 as a nonprofit organization. I went to the IRS website. There's no tax return publicly available. That's presumably because it's too recent. And even if there were numbers available from that year, it wouldn't be reflective of what's happening right now because this stuff changes so rapidly. And in, I've had two conversations with Rob Master, who's the executive chair of the Varsity Collective. One was in September 2022 when they launched the collective. And then another one came this past December to sort out the Leon Lowry saga, the transfer situation, and get the collective's perspective on how it handles portal players. And he's really kept a lot of this close to the vest, which he has every right to do in terms of not providing a specific number. I mean, initially when I asked him in 2022 how much money there had been pledged or would be pledged, he said they hadn't really set a target. And this time around, it was just that, like, there isn't one set way of how they do things with a certain player. So all that is to say, it's it's impossible to know how Wisconsin stacks up because we don't have access to any of these numbers. But I think anecdotally, and in talking to people, it's a lot different from what a lot of other programs are doing. And I did that story a couple of weeks ago on Casey Robach, talked to him in his office and about his recruiting efforts uh, in the department. And one of the questions I asked him was where he thought recruiting was headed in the future. And he, he stopped and cited the fact that Ohio State coach Ryan Day said two years ago that he believed it would take $13 million to keep the Buckeyes roster intact. And when Casey was talking, he, he got to that part and he paused for a really long time. And he just said, that's not Wisconsin. Um, that's not to say how Wisconsin does it is wrong. It's just that this is not going to be a situation where they're funneling like 15 to $20 million into a pool and paying out the players. Um, and another anecdotal example that I have of this is talking to someone who was in the circle of one of the guys who transferred to Wisconsin this offseason about NIL. I asked how much NIL played a role in this kid coming to Wisconsin. He said, that's not why I picked Wisconsin. They're never going to win that war. Believe me, they do take care of their players, but let's just leave it there. So again, that's a lot of words and a lot of sort of anecdotal evidence that says to me, they are not going to be Ohio State or a lot of these other schools that probably try to pool X million number of dollars. But I still think the way they're trying to do it gives them a chance to get some of these guys. I think it does make it harder, though. There's no question in this changing landscape for Wisconsin to be competitive with teams that are operating on a different level. Yeah, I don't I don't think that they can. 
I don't like they're not they're not going to compete with the Ohio States, not going to compete with the Michigans. They're, they're just not like no. financially at this point. They are not. It's not to say that Wisconsin doesn't have a bunch of big donors that give a bunch of money and, and help in that respect, but they don't have the same type of. Mm-hmm. I hesitate to say buy in because that's not fair because there are obviously so many people that care so passionately about uh, Wisconsin and Wisconsin football, and they are doing everything that they can to to keep them um, competitive and keep them at a, at a level that of maintaining what Wisconsin had been or, you know, outside of the last few years had been for the last, you know, 30 years. So there are, it's, it's a huge challenge though. It's a huge yeah. challenge and it's not one that I would, I would personally be wanting to undertake if I was someone trying to, to pull that money. Like that, that's a tough job. <laughs> it's a, it's a very tough job to keep on people. Cause it's not just a one-time thing. You can't just like, you know, Herb Cole making a donation for the Cole Center, and he made so many donations time and time again, but I'm just making a point. Like, if that was the only thing that he ever donated, that's a, that's a one-time thing. It's amazing, but it's a one-time thing. You need people that are continuing to donate on a year-to-year basis, and it's not just people paying the, you know, the $300 or $400 seat licensing fee that you even have to, you know, pay to be able to request tickets in certain parts of the stadium. So, like, it, that's that, but that's that's... This is just above and beyond that. If if there's going to be no restrictions, that these guys are are going to be able to uh, take advantage of at other places that I don't necessarily think will happen at Wisconsin. Um, yeah. With one thing that's interesting to me is the in the evolution of this NIL era. It feels like, and this may be largely anecdotal, but I also think just covering this stuff, it's true. Like the money, it seems like is going is geared more toward transfer port transfer portal players as opposed to high school recruits. Now, I'm not necessarily saying it's that way everywhere. I mean, if you've got a five-star guy who's number three in the country and everyone wants him, you're probably giving him some NIL money up front. But I do wonder how does that factor into this equation with whatever amount of money Wisconsin has pooled, what percentage of that is going towards transfer portal players who have already proven themselves at the collegiate level, have a lot of other schools trying to get them and Wisconsin's trying to close the deal in a very short period of time. Uh, I wonder what kind of arrangements are, are made there um, in terms of what the sum is, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Zach. I just, I don't think Wisconsin can compete at the same level as some of these other schools, but I kind of feel like we've said that about what recruiting was for so many years with Wisconsin too. And what made the Badgers so great was that they were able to, overachieve on the field and this is just kind of another example of what wisconsin is going to have to do but it always comes down to talent and i think that's the hardest thing when you are a fan of wisconsin it's not that wisconsin doesn't have talent but when you see the teams that are consistently in the playoff there's a reason why they're consistently in the playoff and so this just feels like one more obstacle or barrier that wisconsin has to overcome by figuring out what is going to work for us how can we get the people that fit the system that we want who are here for the reasons that we believe are important? And then how do we maximize their potential and go out and try to be competitive with the teams that have $15 million payrolls? You just need to have someone that's a passionate Wisconsin fan win the lottery, like one of the, the, mega millions <laughs> or the, the Powerball when it's over a billion and all the problems would go away. You would just, right? You'd just 
funnel that money to the to Wisconsin every single year and uh, hire the best team you could possibly do every time. But no, um, it's it's a tough it's a tough spot. It's a tough spot for Wisconsin to be in right now. We'll see if uh, as this goes on. I still think that there are going to be eventually going to be restrictions in place. Like there, I, I don't think we're going to continue to see what is happening right now. Like it's just, it's a, it's an untenable situation. It can't continue like it is right now. I just don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Um, but I envision it being somehow the players are eventually able to be in a negotiation period where they, ha- they have a, 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 ch- a chance to say what they want, what they need. And, and there are, things put in place to not just limit it, but have have some rules so that not everybody's playing by uh, different things. And um, so we'll see. Uh, this is going to continue on. As I've said a number of times, I just want it to be done. Like, just, just get me to the end of this. I don't care. I don't necessarily care what it looks like. Just get me to the end of it. Um, all right. The NFL Combine is starting up this week down in Indy. Braylon Allen, Mumajong Mehta, Tanner Bordellini are going to represent the Badgers down there. There are 18 Michigan Wolverines, which is the most mm. ever, um, as you would imagine. But 18, that's just insane. National champions for a reason. Uh, but Braylon Allen moving up in the the rankings, or I should say the, the pre-combine rankings, according to one of your colleagues at The Athletic, went from uh, not ranked in the January rankings to 80th overall. It is not a great running back class. He is a guy that certainly I think ends up getting taken maybe maybe day two, maybe early day three. But uh for you, which of these three guys, Muma, Tanner, or Braylon, are gonna end up having the best career in the NFL? It's a hard question that is, is between it though? Tanner and Braylon to me. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. Well, I just offensive linemen at Wisconsin have had a lot of success in the NFL. Right. And I think Tanner has been say what you want about this speed of the snaps, which if God bless it, let's hope this is the last time I ever even have to say that. Uh, um, Cause I'm done talking about that storyline. Like he was, he was <laughs> well, the best pass blocker that they had on the team. I think he's going to have a really good NFL career. One of those guys that's just going to be a stalwart on an offensive line for a decade. That's, that's how I, I feel about him. And so I'm inclined to say him, um, Braylon is such a physical specimen, and I think there are still some questions to me about what does it look like for him at the NFL level? Is he in every down back? What is he like in in pass protection? What's he like as a pass catcher? Can he hold up? Because he's been hurt um, every year that he was at Wisconsin, and it's no knock on his effort and obviously everything that he puts into it, but we know the shelf life that running backs have is not particularly long, so I'm more and more talking myself into Tanner Bordellini. Um, I wonder who's going to be drafted higher between he and Braylon. Yeah, I think Tanner gets drafted uh, ahead of Braylon, but I was looking at some pictures, and again, I it, it's it's tough to tell with pictures because you're only getting certain angles, but it, uh, it looked like Braylon may have slimmed down a little bit, just, just a little bit. Again, he was never fat by any stretch. Um, he was... I mean, dude's just a uh, walking muscle. Um, so, but it looked like he may have have slimmed down. We've seen that in the past with 
Wisconsin running backs trying to to run a little bit faster at the combine. I don't know if he's actually going to run, um, but uh, he, he'll probably weigh 240 and I'm, I'll look like an idiot, but it just looked like he was uh, a little bit lighter. I, I think Tanner and his versatility being able to play both center and guard is something that teams are going to like. I, I, I also thought Michael Dieter was going to have a really long career and be like mm-hmm. a really good player, and, and that hasn't panned out. He's uh, It didn't really work out. He, he started for a few years in, in Miami, and now he's in Houston uh, as a backup. I, I thought, and I kind of look at Dieter, and I kind of look at um, Tanner in, in similar veins, but I think uh, I just like Tanner's versatility more. And mm-hmm. um, in, term, in between him and Braylon, I mean, uh, Dieter played left, like very similar to, Tanner in college, Dieter played everywhere. He played center, he played guard, he played tackle. Um, Tanner did the same. I, I think Tanner has has the longer career, and I'm interested to see what what Braylon's role would be in the big in the NFL. Like, is it is it just a first and second down guy? Did he show enough this year to show that he can be a three down guy? I I think he can be everything. I just don't know that a team is going to be like, yeah, we want him to be everything. You know what I mean? We we've seen. You know, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Wasn't overly productive, but I, I don't know that he was really set up for a lot of success in that. And I think he can pass protect as well. Like there were a number of times where he really showed that. I just don't know that if it's it's a consistent NFL level um, for him. And you're right. Got to stay healthy. Can he stay healthy? I don't know if he can or not. I, I'll be honest. I was mildly surprised that Muma was even invited to the combine. Yeah. Just, based, just based on his season and, and based on what he showed it was just a, a slight a small surprise a small surprise but congratulations to him and, and we'll see if he's able to turn some heads and and find his way onto an nfl team but among those three guys i'd probably go with tanner outside of those three do you see anybody else making it well jason matry left early to train for the draft i'm i don't know <laughs> what that's gonna mean i think he had a pretty solid season for his sure. role i don't yeah. know um like a there's so like the <laughs> other the other options here are what uh hayden rucci tanner uh, mordecai tanner mordecai michael fertney um who else am i am i missing here uh cj gets i assume is is training like there are a number of of guys it's just i don't i don't know that any of them have a chance to make it other than those three and and really i We'll see what happens with Muba. I, I think those those first two of the guys that I would feel most comfortable saying they're going to get drafted and they're going to have careers in the NFL. But we'll see. Um, wanted to close with this, Jesse. The, the big hubbub today everywhere is talking about court stormings after what happened down at Wake Forest with Kyle Filipkowski. Is that how you say it? Filipowski? I'm, I'm going to you. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, a tall white guy at Duke. Just whatever, <laughs> right? Um, and I know we're talking football, but this has also been a situation where we, we at times have seen things happen in court uh, field stormings, right? It's been such a long time since Wisconsin has had a field storming, though I remember, wasn't it 2021? Didn't they storm the field for the Iowa game? Do you remember uh, that? I can't remember what I ate last week, so yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> I want to say, say they stormed, like, and I think a lot of us in, uh, inside were like, Why? But I don't have court stormings, field stormings. I have some fun. Like, I, 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 yes, you don't want players to get hurt. 
but I think it's just so ridiculous. Like the, the Kate and Clark thing where the, the fan was like trying to take a selfie of themselves as they ran on the court and they ran into Kate and Clark and she flopped. And then you have Filipowski, you know, still sticking out his, his, uh, his leg a little bit. Look like he may have tripped the guy. Um, it's you, you want better security. There's no doubt about that, but field stormings, court stormings, they're going to happen. And I just, I don't, um, understand you get one injury and we don't even know how injured he is. And all of a sudden you want to take away one of the great things about college basketball. Like when you think about some of the great moments in Wisconsin basketball history, whether it's, you know, even going back a couple of years, like I, I'm not going to say it was a great moment in Wisconsin basketball history to beat Marquette earlier this year. They still stormed the court, but go back to 20, you know, 2022 when they won the title over Nebraska, um, over Purdue, that corn storming, people are going to remember where they were when that happened. And they're going to remember those memories being out there. I, I think as long as like the security is good and, you know, you practice it and get the guys walled off from the crowd, it works. Just because one guy gets injured, and we don't even know how injured he is, I don't know that you need to cancel court stormings and cancel, um, you know, field stormings because of it. Well, I know the SEC has tried its best to yes. issue like, fines. It's like $100,000 and- or something like that. Yeah, I think the presidents had a plan that would fine schools a hundred thousand dollars for a first offense, two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a second offense, and five hundred thousand dollars for a third offense. Which, I mean, I mentioned earlier, Wisconsin's athletic department revenue was one hundred and fifty million dollars. So, like, <laughs> I guess you'd eat it if you had to. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. It's tough as a as a fan of sports growing up, storming a field, storming a court. That was exciting. Um, I can remember when I was a high school freshman living in Iowa City and I was uh, I attended an Iowa football game. I think it was against Michigan State. I think Michigan State was in the top 25. If I'm not mistaken, Iowa had at the time the longest losing streak in the FBS. That was right at the start of Kirk Ferentz's tenure. He was left with absolutely nothing and they won the game. And I can remember storming the field. I, you know, uh, probably had no business being out there. Uh, I mean, it's very dangerous. I'm not I, I cannot uh, ignore that fact when you've got thousands of bodies crammed together, bad stuff can happen. Um, so it's, it's an interesting dilemma, but like all these years later, I still remember that. Um, yeah. and I'm we'll not an what, Iowa fan. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how everything wants to happen. I was on the field in 2003. It was a good time at the Ohio state game. It is what it is. Jesse, we'll be back next week. Thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right. There he is. Jesse temple from the athletic. You've been listening to the camp.